We're in the sixth part of our message series called Bibology. And uh, Bibology is basically just the way that we approach Scripture, certain attitudes and values that we take into the study and the reading of the Bible. Um, this week, and now I can move forward, I wanted, I wanted to start with something a little unorthodox because, hey, I'm, I'm an unorthodox kind of guy, and why not start off with a little bit of wrestling? When I was a kid, I was, I was die-hard fan of wrestling, WCW, WWF. I mean, my brother and I spent more time jumping off the furniture onto each other, thinking that Superfly Snooker and Flying Brian and, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan, even our neighborhood kids, we'd get into it, we'd have WrestleMania in our house. We'd pull, put all the blankets down on the, on the floor, and man, we just killed each other every single weekend. I mean, I believed and I was adamant that everything that was going on in wrestling was absolutely real. And some people still believe that. Bill, Bill still believes that, that, that it is all real. Um, my father, on the other hand, would roll his eyes every time that we would gather in front of the television. And he'd say, this is a bunch of hogwash, he would call it. What a bunch of foolishness. And I... As I grew older, I started to think, well, maybe it's just a youth thing. Maybe I just, I believed it was real because I was young. But then I was caught off guard when my, my, my father's father, my paternal grandfather, who I really didn't know very well because I didn't grow up around him. But when I did spend time with him, it was watching wrestling. And he was in his 70s, and he also thought it was real, all right? So I'm thinking, well, what in the, how in the world could I think it was real as a, as a boy? My grandfather could think it was real as an old man, but yet my father just had this, uh, just, he kind of read between the lines. He understood, you know, the entertainment side of it. Um, and why, while I don't really know at what point someone finally gives themselves over to the fact that wrestling is entertainment, um, and how people recognize what is real and fake when it comes to, uh, when it comes to that type of entertainment. I, I do know for a fact how we can determine what is real and what is foolishness whenever we're reading scripture of things that are of eternal value. And it's something that comes right out of Scripture itself, in fact, in, in multiple places. But starting in the Old Testament, a young man who was advising uh, Job, who was telling Job that, you know what, even though I am young, he had listened to these, these old men try to advise Job and tell Job everything that he had done wrong. And, and this young man, his name was Elihu. Elihu would sit back because he was a young man and he felt like he didn't have really the... the uh, the authority or the wisdom to stand up and speak in the midst of these old wise sages. He waited until these men had stopped trying to advise Job and Job tried to stop trying to figure out what was wrong with him. And, and Elihu stands up and he says, look, I'm a young fella. I have held back from saying what was on my mind. But let me tell you what I know is true. And he speaks this, he says, this the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. In fact, basically what Elihu was saying was, even in all of their earthly and worldly knowledge, these old men who were trying to advise Job, Elihu recognized that it was the spirit of wisdom of God that was in him that was going to provide the true, real wisdom. Now everything else that all of his friends had provided Job was pretty much foolishness. 
But Elihu says, you know what? It's the Spirit of God in a man. The Spirit of the Holy God that speaks through him and provides understanding. And that was the authority by which Elihu was speaking to Job. And then he goes on to advise Job in ways that were, that were valuable, in ways that were characteristics of God and not of mankind. And it was not just in the Old Testament that recognizes that the Holy Spirit is the one that gives the discernment between what is right and wrong, what is real and what is foolishness. You see, the Holy Spirit is the, is the essence that we need and that we must have whenever we're reading Scripture because it helps us, it gives us the distinctive ability to understand what we're reading. And I don't mean just the words on the page. Now, we are, most of us are educated people. We can read a sentence in the Bible and, and, and read what it says and understand what it says. But unless, just as Elihu says, and, jo, and excuse me, the Apostle Paul will say in just a moment, but unless you have the Spirit of God in you, able to discern not just what it says, but what it means, what it means eternally. Now, this is a carry-on a bit of last week's message, where we talked about the, the letter of Scripture versus the Spirit of Scripture. And we recognize that the Spirit of Scripture is what we need to adhere to, not necessarily the legalistic letter of it. And if we're going to understand, if we're going to accept and 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 realize the true meaning of the Spirit of Scripture, then we have to use the spiritual connection that we have in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, We haven't received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, he's speaking of himself as he's, as he's teaching the Corinthians. He's saying, we, we speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not, under, he's not able to understand it since it, is, since, it, excuse me, since it is evaluated spiritually. Now what Paul is not saying is that the people who read Scripture, who, who do not believe, who do not have the discernment of the Holy Spirit, he's not saying that they have no idea how to read and how to, um, how to, to understand, how to know what the Word says. What he says is those that without the Spirit have no, um, have no capacity to understand and to, to, to um, uh, take away the, the, the spiritual, the kingdom meaning of Scripture. He speaks of a person without the Spirit. What he's speaking of here is what um, they would have called the natural person. A person that is with just a, the Spirit of the world. That doesn't have any... Um, that doesn't have any God-given or God-ordained ability to take away the eternal meaning of the Word of God. He says that these people who do not have the discernment of the Holy Spirit, they read 
from Scripture. They hear the teachings, but they consider it as foolishness. It doesn't mean that they don't hear it. They hear it, but they consider it as hogwash. They feel like it's just junk, and they cast it aside. But the people with the Spirit, they see the value. They see the eternal value of the teaching and of the Scriptures that come that, is, that is, has this bedrock in the Holy Spirit. And that's because if God is Spirit, Scripture is Spirit, so it has to be discerned spiritually. We talked about last week, whenever we were um, reading through 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where we were um, talking about the truthfulness of Scripture, and where Paul says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And again, if you use the, the, the mathematic or the scientific equation, if, if A equals B, then A must equal C. If God is spirit, and God inspired all of, wor- all of the Word, then the Word of Scripture is not just necessarily sentences or words on a page. There's a, there's a spiritual undergirding, a spiritual element to each part of it. Because they were written under the inspiration of God. Because they were written by a God who is spirit. Now to the person who is not a believer, just as we st- studied last week, they look at the Bible as a textbook, as a history book. They, they go in and, and they... they they perform these, uh, these textual criticisms of the nuances of the, of the letters of the Greek and the Hebrew. And they're, they're not interested in the true foundational spirit of the Word. And therefore, they don't get transformed by it. Yes, it's there for us to read with our eyes and to comprehend with our minds. But because God breathed it out of His Spirit, there's also, a, there's also a, a spiritual part, a spiritual foundation in Scripture that remains locked for those who don't believe and those who don't have the Spirit of God in them to discern it. And don't just take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. In Matthew chapter 13... Jesus is approached by his disciples. He's approached by his disciples and they come up to him and they say, Jesus, we don't understand. Um, your, your mode of teaching has changed a little bit over, over the course of time. Not, not the truth, but the mode of teaching. We understood that you were speaking to us plainly, but whenever you started to speak to all of the crowds to the general natural people, you started to speak in these stories, in these riddles, in these parables. Read this conversation with me. The disciples came up to Jesus. They asked him, why are you speaking to them, speaking of those who were not his disciples, in parables? And Jesus answered them, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given for them. Now, we can look at that two ways. We can say, well, either God is deciding who gets to understand and who doesn't. Or we can look at that and say, for those who have chosen to believe, for those who have chosen to accept what I say as truth, they will understand. 
And it doesn't matter how I say it, be it in a parable or just a a flat-out teaching, one-to-one, they will understand the truths of what I'm saying. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, Forever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What is Jesus talking about here? If we read that in context, he's not talking about stuff. He's not talking about things. He's not talking about somebody's belief and acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They have the belief and faith in him that he was who he said he was. So people that had just enough belief to go back to Jesus every time he was teaching and say, Lord, what did you mean by that? You see, these other people, they weren't doing that. They were taking the words that he was saying and they were walking home scratching their heads going, this guy's a lunatic. But those who, those who had their souls kind of itched for the word that he was teaching and realized that there was something eternal from the kingdom coming from Jesus, they followed Jesus around and said, so Lord, I understand that you were teaching in this weird story. I really want to understand what that means. Help me to understand what that means. In a sense, this is the same way that we were talking about last week where prayer is essential when we're studying Scripture. It's the same way as when we're reading Scripture we, and we don't understand something. We get on our knees, we, we, we bow our heads and we look to the Lord and we say, Father, I don't understand this. Help me to understand. And through His Spirit, He will explain things that are spiritual through spiritual means, because the Scripture is spiritual. He says, that's why I speak to them in parables. Because looking, they don't see. And hearing, they do not listen or understand. In fact, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you listen and listen, but you never understand. You will look and look, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. They might understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. You see, if there was any inkling of belief, of a desire to know more, of a desire to follow Jesus Christ the Messiah, then more would be given, more would be revealed. But if they go in with a calloused heart, if they go in with just looking at the things that Jesus was saying as words on a page, it's going to sound like rubbish. Just as Paul says, it sounds like foolishness. And he concludes by looking at his disciples and he says, Blessed are you, because blessed are you and your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. Who were the ones that were sitting at the feet of Jesus going, Jesus, why are you starting to teach this way and what does this stuff mean? It was the ones who believed in him. You see, belief is an important aspect. Faith is an important aspect of having 
that spiritual discernment whenever we read Scripture. Because if we, if we don't have the belief in the very Savior that gave us the Spirit in order to discern Scripture, then the Spirit's not readily available to us. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do and God by any means can do what He does because He is sovereign to make Himself known. Be it in Scripture or any other means possible. But what I'm saying is as we are getting into the weeds of the Bible and trying to, to, to glean the spiritual things that come from the Word, it's imperative that we are able to understand those things in the Spirit and not in our heads and in our minds. You see, the, the Spirit is, is essential the Spirit is essential because whenever we are reading Scripture, if we're not in the Spirit, we can easily be deceived. I made that last point up myself. It even rhymes for all you guys so that you can remember it. Satan deceives, but the Spirit perceives. You know who else knows Scripture? Satan. Oh, yeah. And he knows how to twist it and bend it and alter it and change the meaning of it as we approach it with our minds, as we approach it with our thinking, as we approach it with the, the spirit of man. And we, we become deceived from the meaning that God had intended with the scripture that he breathed out of his spirit. But entering these things and reading through scripture with the Holy Spirit, we can perceive the truth. We can understand, we can discern what is holy out of scripture. Case in point, one of the most prominent uh, I guess, theologies in today's time and probably in the 20th century has been the prosperity theology, prosperity gospel, as some have heard it. They, they take scriptures out of context and they, they twist it to where they want people to believe that if you are living in poverty, if you are living in sickness or in illness, it's because there's something in faith that you are failing at. And because Jesus has overcome all things, he wants you and me to prosper. And their, their definition of prosperity is health and wealth. But I can promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, if you define prosperity on earthly terms, you need to go back and read the Gospels again. Because what God has in mind for health and wealth are eternal. God doesn't store up for him things of this world that rust destroys, that moths destroys. Treasures in heaven, things that we don't understand or comprehend in the flesh. But in the spirit, we certainly do. 
Because when we read the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, how Jesus explains it, all of a sudden what is, looks like health and, and wealth and prosperity, these terms take on different definitions. And we recognize that, you know what? I can be a sickly, poor person and be prosperous in the kingdom. What does God want us to be? Does he want us to be, does he want us to be a, a, a prosperous human being? Or does he want us to be a prosperous son and daughter of God? And only through the discernment of the Spirit will we be able to truly understand the spiritual things inspired by a spiritual God written in the Word of God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17, He says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So Jesus was saying to His disciples, to His closest friends, me personally, physically being here, you're not going to be able to come to me and ask for these explanations all the time. But I'm not going to leave you alone. And he begins this section in Scripture by says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. It starts with that, with us loving God, accepting His Son Jesus Christ, obeying His commands in faith and belief and obedience. And he says, now, if you put me, if you put yourself under my authority and you allow me to explain these things to you, even though I'm physically going to go away, I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send you another counselor to be with you forever. He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because He doesn't see Him or know Him. Hence the reason why those of the world, of the flesh, the natural man, the natural woman, with just the, the worldly spirit, looks at spiritual things and calls them foolishness. They don't see Him or know Him, but you do because He remains with you. And will be in you. You see herein lies the reason why. Having to accept. The explanation. Of Jesus about himself. Is imperative to our spiritual understanding of scripture. Because if we have not believed on the one in whom all of the word flowed through, then how are we going to understand the spiritual depths of it? See, Jesus says that for those who keep my commands, those who, those who love me, he offers this counselor. And we know, I mean, we've, we've, 
we understand this and we've heard it taught and we've, we've um, expressed this throughout our church history. That if when, you, when you cast your belief in Jesus Christ, when you make him your Lord, when you repent, when you turn from your old self and you have made him now the central figure, the king of your life, then you obey him. You, you, you believe him. You obey him. He is your Lord. And with that, Jesus says, okay, because you have now placed yourself under my authority, then I'm going to be your teacher. I, you, you be my student. I will be your teacher. And I'll not just teach you the things of this world. I'm going to teach you the things of God's kingdom. And he does that through the gift of his spirit that he gives each one of us who has placed him as our Lord and Savior. Normatively, scripturally, that has come at the time of what we would call um, uh, our, uh, the, the, the time of salvation in our lives. Culminated in our baptism. And why is baptism such an important part of that process? That is because at that point, we have said, I'm not going to try to discern life according to me. I am no longer my Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm going to die to my old self. I'm going to rise up in a new, as a new man, a new woman in the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, all right. You've showed me, not only have you believed, but you've publicly professed it. That I am now your Lord, I am now your King. And normatively in Scripture, it is at that point that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift, as a counselor. Now I say normative because there are, there are variations. God is sovereign. He gives the Spirit as He gives the Spirit. But normatively in Scripture, it's at that point in, in our submission to Him as our Lord and Savior that this Holy Spirit we've been speaking of this morning becomes available to us. And we receive that. And then all of a sudden, life and the world takes on a whole new meaning. It's almost like putting on these special glasses to where we see things as they really are. Not the physical things, the spiritual things. And then when we start opening up our scripture, we start realizing, oh my goodness, this stuff is just popping out. I've never, I've read this before, but I've never read it. I've never understood it. It's never transformed me the way that it is now. It's so strange. I've, I've read this, I've read this verse a hundred times. But in the spirit, it now is almost like it became, it popped out in color. A spiritual word transforming us spiritually because we approached it with the spirit. We celebrate each week the moment in which Jesus Christ culminated his entire ministry. All that had been promised from the beginning of time into the middle of history. 
We celebrate the time that Christ had come and had allowed himself to be sacrificed to give us that counselor forever. The counselor of discernment. The, the counselor that, that helps us to discern truth from foolishness. What's real and what's fake. What's good and what's bad. And when we open up our Bibles, we can say in the Spirit, Lord, because I believe you are who you say you are, because I believe in the one you sent. I have received your Spirit, and therefore as I read the Scripture, it now pours into my, into my soul, not just into my mind. The way that we celebrate that, the way that we mark that is we do it with the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to give the opportunity. we got the, the kids coming in this morning. You guys need communion, don't you? All right, Pat and Elva, would you guys mind bringing communion down to these guys? promise you it'll be a hundred years before I'm ever to, able to time that like I just did. All right? And I want you guys to hear this as well. And that's why it was important for you all to come down because we're, we're going to witness something extremely important in, uh, in Mallory's baptism this morning. But in what Mallory is doing is what we've been talking about here as a group. She's going to be Witnessing to each one of us and telling us in no certain terms that she does no longer want to live for herself. She wants to live for Jesus. And it's because of what Jesus has done in her life that she wants to make that proclamation. You see, Jesus died to pay for each one of our sins. Imagine everything that you've ever done wrong. Someone else paying the penalty for that. You imagine that? You guys have brothers and sisters? How many of them would stand up and say, yep, I'll, I'll take that punishment for you? None? Yeah. Mine wouldn't either. But Jesus did. He took the punishment for each one of us. And because he took the punishment for us and we believe that he did that for us, we put our faith in him, then we believe who he said he was our Messiah, our King, our Lord. And the one that only wants good things for us. Not good things as we have understood them in this life, in this world, but good things according to Him, right? Because He always knows what's best for us. So this morning as we take communion together, let's remember Jesus' body that was broken for each one of us. His blood that was shed for each one of us. So that we didn't have to live discerning and understanding the world just through the spirit of man. But now we can live with the full understanding. We can live with the full enlightenment of life in the kingdom and understand spiritual things given to us by a spiritual father. 
Father, we're grateful for your love for us and how you've shown that love for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, he loved us so much that he laid down his life for each one of us. Lord, he loved us so much that he allowed himself to take our punishment. And you loved him so much that you did not count our sins against him. Because he was sinless, because he was fully righteous, you raised him from the grave. And you have promised us that for each of us that believe on him, share in that new life. And not just life in the flesh, not just the breathing, eating, tasting, seeing life, but life in the Spirit eternally that begins at the point that we make Christ our Lord. We celebrate His sacrifice and we thank You, Father. In Jesus Christ I pray, amen. Let's eat together.